Well, look here. It's another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, is with us. I'm Gordon Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Ron's a former portfolio manager. He knows all about these things financial. So we're going to talk about a subject today that every one of us has been touched by. I, I think I can say that without any equivocation whatsoever. We've all been touched by the beverage industry. Now, whether you choose to consume alcoholic beverages or you consume non-alcoholic beverages, it's a beverage and somebody's making them. Let's, let's just delve into this, Ron, because this is a big, big area. It's a big industry, and many of the names are big, blue chip, have paid a nice dividend for years, have grown their dividend, have been around forever. They're what we call defensive stocks. I mean, we're in a situation right now where interest rates are going up. It looks like we could have a recession. Uh, there's problems in the Middle East, again, with Ukraine and Russia. And, you know, we're in a world right now where there's lots of worries. And when there's lots of worries, people want to move to what we call defensive stocks. And the beverage industry supplies just that. And if you want some scope on how big it is, here's one little example. I'm a big baseball fan, a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And a couple of years ago, my two sons took me down to a series in St. Louis. But while we were there... Uh, and having a beer at the ballpark, we thought, we should go visit the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Everybody knows Anheuser-Busch. They make Budweiser and a number of other brands, I might point out. So while we were there, we were watching the assembly line, and, and the stat absolutely blew me away. Every 18 hours, so two-thirds of a day, right, I guess, something like that, they churn out a million cases of beer every 18 hours. And they only service the U.S. Midwest. <laughs> they don't call it the breakfast of champions for nothing. You know, Holy I'm looking at the market size. Global beverage market is a $1.8 trillion uh, market. And, you know, some of the other stats, Americans and Mexicans, on average, and I found this stat just absolutely stunned me, Gord. On average, the average Mexican and the average American drink 638-ounce servings of soft drinks per person per year that's two a day per person per year okay. you know yeah. um globally three cups of tea are drunk for every cup of coffee alcoholic beverage consumption equals 30 liters per person per year if that doesn't make you happy i guess nothing will a water uh just package the the water that you come in those little plastic bottles people drink 55 liters of of that per person per year and that's closely followed by uh, alcoholic beverages and then milk and dairy are second and third behind that so you know you're looking at a huge amount of beverages are consumed every day and that is what makes it the kind of industry that attracts conservative investors because it is used all the time. It isn't trendy. It isn't something that ha that's seasonal. So you have you have beverages at one time of the year. You don't have beverages at the other. Beverages are consumed in huge quantities every day by everybody, and that's what makes it the kind of in stocks that conservative investors want to have some knowledge of and have some of these a few of these names in their portfolios. Well, you know me well enough, Ron, to know I'm a bit of a smart aggle. I just throw in eggnog. That is kind of seasonal, but 
anyway, let's let's take a look at what drives the growth here. Is it is it the developing world, for instance? Well, yeah, there's a rise in global disposable income, especially a rising middle class in Asia, and um, you know they're drinking more premium beverages. They're certainly drinking premium coffees. They're drinking premium alcohols. Uh, they can afford to drink more um, drinks that have uh, health associated with them, like juices and and dairy products. And this just means that instead of drinking water out of a pump in the local village, you know, they have rich refrigeration units, and and they're starting to consume the kinds of uh, things that are popular in the Western world. And of course, they have their own regionally modified drinks that have become very, very popular in their own areas. And of course, the big international players, uh, they supply to the global market. So if something's hot in India, for example, they're going to start producing it. And we're seeing this global demand, especially the premium products, that's where the money's made because there's not, um, in many of the lower end products, not a lot of margin, but in the premium products, there's still very good margin. And of course, we're seeing demand for healthier options. Uh, you'd never notice it by looking at the 630 servings of soft drinks per person per year. But a lot of people are demanding juices and some of these protein drinks and, and so on that are making it healthier. Uh, near beer, as they call it, with no alcohol. And the list goes on as people try to get healthy. And of course, Part of the battle for all of this is controlling shelf space. If you can't control your shelf space in your grocery stores and your liquor stores, you're going to get squeezed out of the market by the big guys. And so you might have a great product, but unless you can get it on the shelves and you have the muscle and the margins to push other brands out, you're not going to go very far. So if you're looking for a company to invest in, you know, two of the classic names are Coke and Pepsi. They demand huge amounts of shelf space, and they get it. Yeah, just take a look in your grocery store the next time you're in there. What's at the front of the aisle? <laughs> exactly, you know, all yeah. the time. Yeah. And what's at the front of the aisle and is at eye level? All these things are the stuff that consumers reach for and put in their shopping baskets. So that's very, very important. Now, health, now growth restraints are... Especially in the Western world, people are getting more and more concerned about alcohol and sugar, and certainly in schools. Uh, they've changed menus in schools. Some of the dispensing machines that dispense junk food in schools, they've gotten rid of them or got them to change uh, some of the things that they have there. So there's less um, starchy and sugary and fatty options uh, being available to people. So that's definitely a trend. And when you get something that comes on that is healthy and different, like, um, for example, oat milk or coconut milk or cashew milk. Uh, th these things, they, they explode into the marketplace. They generally do very, very well. So this is an area that isn't just old and stodgy. There's many, many new products that are being experimented with all the time. And the market is dynamic. It's changing. And it's the companies that have the R&D departments and have the money for marketing, they're the ones that are going to win. You know, and I think back to my youth, uh, some of the soft drinks that were around when I was a kid that, that just don't exist anymore. Suncrest Beverages was one, and uh, Wineola and Kick Cola. 
They got eaten up by the by the Coca-Colas and the Pepsi-Colas, right? Like you say, the big guys have got so much clout. And and so there's a number of ways to invest, and we're going to look at a couple of Canadian companies, and we're going to look at some U.S. companies, and we're going to also look at some international companies in a number of different areas. And these are just good examples that you can use if you want to add some names to your portfolio, there's uh, some examples here that would be a good place to start, but there's lots of others that you can look at as well, and especially when you're looking at an area that is as big as the beverage industry. Uh, frankly, if we give you six or seven things to look at, we are just scratching the surface. There's many, many, many more names uh, that you can dig down and look at. Okay, so let's start here in Canada, and this is one I have to confess, I have never heard of this company, Lassonde Industries. And I've owned these guys for years, and I own it personally. This is a Quebec-based company that sells juices, sauces, and fruit bars. And some of their best-known brands are Sun Ripe and Everfresh. And uh-huh. especially if you've had kids, and when we had our four kids, uh, the school was far enough away, so... In each lunch, every day, went the ubiquitous juice box Yeah. with the little straw on the side. Well, Lassonde is famous for those things. And so uh, we've been a big customer of Lassonde uh, for years, and I think most people with kids have been big customers of Lassonde. And we've certainly bought uh, a lot of their products. And often, Gord, <clears throat> some of the best ideas I've ever had for investing in this sector is – when I just go home and open the fridge and pull off some of the things that we buy every week and just look at the labels and see who makes them. Yeah, I, I knew so, that. I, I certainly know Sunripe, but I didn't know Lassonde as an example. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. So you just go through your fridge, go through your Lazy Susan, go through your cupboards, and just look at all the different manufacturers of beverages that you drink. Go through your wine cellar, go through your liquor cabinet. You're going to find lots of ideas where you stop for a coffee every day. You know, um, the, the, uh, the dairy beverages you get. There's just all kinds of companies that have done very, very well over the years uh, just producing the stuff we drink. Well, I, I know one that you, taught, you, you touched on it there, Starbucks as an example, right? Yeah, Starbucks is the world's largest coffee chain. They have 33,000 locations. And here's a company that started paying a dividend 10 years ago, and it's increased that dividend by double digits every year. And Starbucks has no plans of slowing down. You look at their growth plans across Africa, across South America, across Europe, across Africa, across Asia. Uh, They plan to really grow this brand over the next few years. So uh, even though they have 33,000 locations, um, growth is expected uh, to continue for these guys, you know, so there's coffee. There's something that most people don't think about. And then you've got Diageo, for example, which, oh <laughs> which, yeah, full, I mean, full, full disclosure. I've owned it for a while. <laughs> oh yeah. I've owned, I've owned Diageo for probably 20 years myself. Yeah. And you know, you look at the labels, Smirnoff, Captain Morgan, Guinness, Bailey's, Johnny Walker, Don Julio, and a raft of single malt scotches. And so here's a company that, uh, that pays a good dividend. It's been around for years. And here's a company that's over the years has really been taking advantage of, as 
third world companies, countries become second world and second world become first world and people have more disposable income, one of the things they tend to upgrade is they're not drinking the hooch that they made in a still behind their house. Uh, occasionally they still do that, but they're <laughs> starting to buy the better stuff. You know, when friends come over, they're not serving the hooch that they made in their basement. They're, they're pouring them some Smirnoff or, or, uh, Bailey's or Don Julio or some of the really high end single malt scotches. So, you know, this is a business that uh, has tended to grow. And of course, they've often said about the alcohol industry is that when markets get bad, people drink more. So in some ways, the alcohol industry is a bit countercyclical all in itself. And, and somewhat bulletproof, it seems, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and of course, in Canada, uh, Gord, we've got, um, we don't have as many of the big names, but in Canada, we also have a company that produces wines under the labels of uh, Tinhorn Creek, Gray Monk, Sand Hill, Red Rooster, Kelowna, 30 Bench, Wayne Gretzky, Black Hills, and that com- company's Andrew Peller, ADW.A. And so they've been around, uh, I'm not exactly sure how they've been around, long they've been around, but they've paid uh, varying dividends. The dividends have gone up and down over the years, but that's a company that has been expanding its position in the Canadian, especially the wines market. So there's just another example of a company that continues to grow its brands in a niche market, and it's the wine market in Canada. And another Canadian name a lot of people don't think about when they think of beverages is Saputo. Yeah. This Italian company uh, is Canadian, has Italian owners. Symbol is SAP. They produce milk, cheese, and cheese and cream. And they're one of the world's top 10 dairy producers. Not many companies in Canada are world-class where you can, you can stack them up against the best anywhere in the world and they're in the top five or the top 10. Most Canadian companies are just Canadian, but Saputo is truly international. And here's a company that has made acquisitions regularly, globally. Uh, Saputo's grown its dividend by 8% per year over the last 10 years. So it's a company that most people don't think of when they think of beverages, but milk and uh, milk products are consumed everywhere all the time i'll go back to that eggnog thing they're probably involved in that somewhere too (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that you've got uh some of that and then of course there's the two classic players for there's pepsi and you know they produce pepsi seven up aquafina salty snacks like doritos lays fritos breakfast cereal like quaker oats and juices and drinks like tropicana and gatorade uh i've owned it for I've owned it for a long, long, long time. And finally, Coca-Cola, and they're the largest producer of beverages in the world. Symbol is KO, trades on New York. And, you know, they make beverages like water. Dasani's their brand. Minute Maid is their brand. They have coffee. They have tea. They have sport drinks. And the company's paid a dividend since 1921, and it's increased its dividend every year for the last 59 years on average, by 3.5% a year. So if you're looking for a company that pays a good dividend, uh, their dividend right now yield is about 2.8%, but that dividend has increased at 3.5%, so it's actually increased faster than the rate of inflation. So there's lots of opportunities. There's lots of things that we haven't even, as examples, that we didn't, uh, we just don't have the time to, to, to look at. But there's a good starting point for you if you want to get some exposure to this industry. And 
It has had a long history of steady returns, far less volatile than the general market as a whole, and especially when we move into dangerous times, uh, volatile times. Uh, there's some of the names on these on this list and and in this sector that most investors should consider adding to their portfolio. And, uh, you know, we've talked oftentimes on this show about Warren Buffett, the world's most successful investor. He's owned Coca-Cola for... Well, probably since 1921, it seems. But And he said, you know, it was one of those things. He said, I found myself drinking Coke quite often. Why don't I buy this some of this company, right? It's simple, really, when you get right down to it. Like you say, open your fridge, look what you're consuming. Yeah, I mean, you see him at uh, the... At the annual meeting. At the annual meeting. He always has his can of cherry Coke sitting there. Yeah. Stays true to his brand. Listen, we have a question that we want to address, too. And this one came up, and it's somewhat timely, as we now seem to be crawling out from the depths of COVID. Uh, one of our listeners sent us a question about the insurance industry. And is this a good thing to look at in the climate that we find ourselves in right now? What do you think about that, Ron? Well, the insurance industry typically has uh, two advantages that, that people like in number one is that when interest rates go up, they're able to buy investments that give higher yields, and so they're able to generate higher returns. People also like the fact that the insurance industry, I went back and looked at 2007 to 2009, and of course, that was a brutal bear market. It dropped on average by 57% globally. But if you look at the stocks that made up the uh, insurance sectors and the ones in the U.S. and the ones in Canada, they typically went down a third to uh, less than half what the average market went down. So, you know, if you're looking at a portfolio that's down on average 57 percent and you've got stocks that are down sort of in that 15 to 25 percent range, uh, you can recover that from that a lot uh, quicker. If you have a market that drops 57 percent, literally the stock market has to double just for you to get back to break even. So that is a good sector to look at. And just expanding on that a little bit is uh, there was another question that we had from someone who's asking, you know, what kind of stock should I look at as we come out of COVID? And of course, you've got sectors like the cruise industry, airlines, but these are very, very volatile sectors. Nobody's been talking about the fact <clears throat> that people that need surgery I it's know my canceled. wife has needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife has been waiting for some elective surgery now for two and a half years. Hasn't been able to get in, and of course, once COVID is behind us, and it's starting to look like that could be later this year, um, all of a sudden, all of this backlog of two or three years where the surgeries are going to—they're uh, going to start pushing them through it at an ever-increasing pace. And so, companies like Medtronic that makes implantable medical devices in people. Companies like Smith and Nephew, uh, these are, this is a company that makes uh, joints, knee joints, um, elbow joints, hip joints. Stryker, another one of, of those, they're, they're in that area too, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And so you've got companies like these that are going to absolutely take off when the surgeries are allowed to happen on a more regular basis just to catch up with the backlog. So if you're looking at a ways to play COVID that's less cyclical and certainly that not everybody's looking at right now, take a look at some of the 
companies that provide medical implements, um, the backlog of surgery should mean that uh, there's, there is lots of demand for their products. So there you go. From beverages to healthcare, we try to cover it all here on every episode of Making Money. Uh, but, and again, we stress, thank you for the questions because these, I mean, we try to think of things ourselves. And Ron sort of leads the way. I'll throw in a little bit here every once in a while. But we hear from you people that listen to Making Money. We like to look into what, you, what your questions are about. So feel free to contact us at our website, makingmoney.ca. Or if you uh, also want to reach us through or our portal at uh, cfcw.com, we can uh, get you there as well. So uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the show. And we're going to talk about uh, that R word that nobody likes to talk about, Ron. We're going to talk about the recession indicators. And, you know, you hear uh, just uh, a waterfall of information from people that have opinions about whether we're going to have a recession or not. And there's been only one reliable indicator, and it's predicted every recession since 1960. So we're going to be talking about that indicator, the only one that has a very high probability of being right and we're going to talk about that on our next show and the implications of if we do have a recession, how you should you invest. So you want to stay tuned for the next show because we've got a lot of very, very good information for you. All right. So join us next time around. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for being part of the process. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.